you're lucky if you have four things to buy. To ask for 20 is really asking for egg in your beer. Very few people have enough brains to get 20 good investments. <laughs> well, and now we're at the egg in the beer part of the show, what you've Yikes. all been waiting for. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougals, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. We got some victory, player. We got some victory. What does that mean? Victory! You ever watch Entourage? Oh, did I ever, yeah. Yeah. Remember when... uh. What was his name? Johnny Utah? Well, no, that was, that was from Point Johnny Break. Bananas? No, what was his name? Yeah, I don't know. Johnny anyway, Cupcakes? The, the brother. <laughs> yeah, Johnny, Johnny Cupcake. Johnny Cupcake. Yeah, the brother, though. He would go, victory, because yeah. of his show. But anyway, that's not, that's not what this is about. This is about the U.S. women's national soccer team. And so for ever, I'll call it, but for years, they've been saying, look, we done dominate this whole sport. Like, we dominate this sport. And you're talking yeah. about paying for talent. You're talking about paying for whatever. And we get paid, I think it's something like 80, 80 something cents to the dollar, right? Compared to men. And then we don't get the bonuses and whatnot. But this week, $24 million in back pay, plus more in, uh, in like they're going to donate to charities and all that kind of stuff for it, which it may be not a complete victory, right? But it's pretty huge props equal work for equal pay but diggles you always keep me on my toes i didn't think we were talking u.s women's soccer uh, to kick off the show this is oh, am i am i amazing. the wrong podcast i thought this is the uh the pizza and women's soccer yeah the, the skippy pizza yeah that actually you're in the yeah, right place. no it's it's way off topic but huge i'm really excited and my fam has been talking about going to next year the world cup right women's world cup is in australia and new zealand 2023 we done talked about going to that thing too I love watching Little Women's World Cup. Oh, man. Um, I love those countries, too. Uh, fabulous places to visit. Cannot recommend it high enough. I'll give you some tips offline. So uh, book those flights, mm. Deagles. Make it happen. Yes, 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 yes. All right. I'm skipping the pleasantries, which is your favorite thing to skip because you're not, yep. you're not very good at them because this week, man, serious stuff. somber news so we're gonna uh try and make you guys smile but we do want to start out just acknowledging uh the the ukrainian conflict and all the sad stuff that's happening on over there um i do goes i was a little surprised but but very excited uh we do have some listeners in the ukraine so special shout out you guys are in our thoughts we are hoping that you hold the line and things look better here in the near future and you get all the uh support that you can get and uh and go from there so it definitely somber news uh we understand that real people are impacted we're gonna talk some about the financial idiosyncrasies of that but um definitely want to acknowledge that situation real talk it's there's a lot of geopolitical tension a lot of real human rights human lives like right to country um that's not what this podcast is about but know that our thoughts and hearts are there but yeah we're gonna talk some of the financial elements of it so we'll do a poor transition now. The financial ramifications of this conflict are are mind-boggling. And um, it, potentially, this is uncharted territory for 
a lot of our listeners, I'd say, who are typically, you know, more in their 30s and 40s and haven't been through a conflict like this um, in mainland Europe uh, recently. So, Dougals, how did your portfolio hold up and, and what were you thinking about on the investing side of things? Um, on the portfolio side of things, fine. Yeah. And that's mostly because uh, since the peak in November, it's gotten beat down. So, like, it, it was kind of a the market was kind of like, we don't have much else to, like, we done told you, sell Dexcom. You know what I mean? Like, the market was like, we done told you to do that. And so we can't tell you anymore. No, Wait, uh, so second level thinking there, you're like, I'm gonna, I know some uh, portfolio damage is coming. I'm just going to get it out of the way earlier. Just get it out. Later. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, why wait? Um, no, actually, yeah, my portfolio did fine. It's actually, it was up like uh, this week, a little bit, like just a tiny bit ended up up. It got hit when everything got like smashed, but then came back um, and then beyond a little bit. But outside the portfolio, I was doing some, I've been on the hunt actually recently, as I mentioned before, like generally. So I've been looking around and also thinking about um, the ramifications of this. I don't like to get, as you know, and as you don't either, I don't like to get into like the real short term oh, like, yeah. ramifications yeah, of things I mean, like this. It's a loser's right? game. No one should be yeah. doing that. But I, I was over the last month and a half, I've like sold off of a lot of the commodity stuff that I'd purchased a couple of years ago, potentially bad timing. On that one, um, because yeah. there were there were like rising prices, but perfectly fine. Um, but been thinking about commodities a bit, and then also just looking at in general some of the some of the uh, like I sold. Um, I actually owned a Russian ETF uh, that I sold at the beginning of the year, um, and it was just while I was watching that, not for getting in purposes, but wow, like the fluctuations, obviously, yeah, right, on the yeah. Russia ETF is like is wild. So commodities mostly right russia etf or like some of the things that i i was looking at this week you know what's ama- amazing that tells you about my investor psyche is it, like uh, i was actually wondering about russia as a country like the russian stock market as a country the investment hypothesis in like six to nine months you know when things hopefully it just gets decimated i say hopefully again not because i want the stock market, not the country. Yeah, is what yeah, you were talking exactly. About. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so as it relates to all that, what's going on in, on the Wall Street Journal side of this conflict, I'll call it, is uh, SWIFT, right? And yeah. sanctions and everything else. And I think there's a, a really interesting conversation to be had there. For those who don't know, SWIFT stands for the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. Douglas, is that the worst name you've ever yeah. heard? Sally is sold seashelled by the Shishwar. It's <laughs> like what I just heard. So Belgium-based system, 200 countries participate, 11,000 financial institutions, pretty much the only countries that, that don't partake until maybe this week is uh, Iran and North Korea, right? And there's a lot of pressure. And as of a Saturday afternoon when we're recording this, there's some momentum to cut Russia out of SWIFT. And, and what this is, this is the, think of it as like the communication channel, communication protocol of financial transactions around the world. So it's not the way, they're not like holding money. It's not the way money's actually transferred, right, across state lines, but it's where the, the payment orders come through. Mm-hmm. And so if if I'm a bank in the US and I want to deal with a bank in France, right? Swift will be the way that I say like someone is transferring from the bank in the US to the bank in France. So if you cut the the Russia out of that, you're basically saying that Russian banks can no longer communicate with banks outside of Russia. Yep. As of 2020, there were 19 and a half billion 
um, of these messages, they call them. But those messages relate to transactions. Of that, to, to get some idea of the cross-border money flow that's happening there, like if you take Europe, Middle East, um, and Africa, about 2.5 of those payments go to Asia. And if you look at Asia to Europe, about 3.5 go from Asia to Europe. So some of that traffic in there is probably Russia to the the European mainlands. And some of those payments probably relate to energy and gas yeah. payments that have been widely exactly. talked about. Exactly. This is a very fascinating thing because there are ramifications with economic sanctions. You know, people talk about the boomerang effect. And even though Biden right now is saying, oh, we structured our sanctions in a way that's not going to hurt our economy. I don't believe that for a second. Like, that's not how it works. Though The reason trade is a good thing is because you take something that, that one place does well or has a surplus of and you transfer it to another place where it'd be more costly to do it on your own. So if this happens, there will be ramifications to all economies, I believe. That's, and it's an unknown because it's a compound effect. The, the last stats that I saw, which are, these are probably like loosey-goosey thumb suck stats, mm -hmm. like to be honest, is around 1% or a little over 1% of the, the uh, communications that go through SWIFT are from Russian banks. But to your point, like the, the compounding impact of what happens when the Russian bank doesn't actually do finances with someone else, like we do not know, which is why this is a, it's really hard to figure out whether or not you want to do this. Um, and Russia also back in 2014, so 2014 was when Russia, I think it was 13, 14, something like that, when Russia went into Crimea, right? Yep. And, it was 14. Yeah. Uh, so threats happened there. So Russia started building its own version of SWIFT, which it has. But I, but from what I have read, it's like shoddy. It's like Google's decided to also start writing things on a napkin and you know carrier pigeon, um, which is interesting. But what's fast? What what I was really thinking about most this week um, with regard to all this stuff, it's not the it's not any assets itself, but what it is is how few superpowers, or I guess by by definition superpowers few, but like really few superpowers we have in this world right now. Because as I was thinking about the different countries that could like interject here, it's really the US, Russia, and China are like the superpowers. And guess who has been? You can you can debate. Because I know I mean, you're gonna talk about the throw, EU. Yeah, let's throw the EU in there. Yeah, yeah that's not a country. My point is like that's not that's not a single it's a union. entity. It's a union. country. Yeah, GDP it is, it is a union. roughly equal to the United States. So but it's not don't hate on my European it's friends. Not, it's not a country. But, my, but from a country standpoint, right, like there, there aren't that superpowers. And China has been eerily silent. I think they're going to I think there's China. I think China's waiting to see which way the wind blows on this one, because I bring China up because of the superpower thing. But they also China has its own um, its own communication protocol for national yeah. too, which Russia could theoretically like lean on if it came down to it. But well, yeah. Okay. Yes, Diggles, you, you, there's lots of rabbit holes to go down. So mm -hmm. one of the um, arguments against taking Russia out of SWIFT is that even though I've seen estimates, it would reduce their GDP by about 5%. It SWIFT is very much part of the US financial led world order, dollar denominated uh, dominant currency. And if you kick people out of it, especially I think Russia is the 12th largest economy in the world right now, 
then there's reasons to develop other things and maybe get used to a world that's not US led. To me, you're going to be shocked. But this always goes, I, I wonder about the crypto ramifications, right? So will Russia say, like, well, okay, we don't need, we'll, we'll build Swift on crypto. Russia already does the third most uh, mining of Bitcoin of anyone in the world. Putin seems to have a love-hate relationship with crypto. He doesn't really like it, but he wants his uh, technologists to be up to speed on crypto because of some hacking potential, it seems, yep, according to what I'm reading in the Wall Street Journal. So this is hot off the presses as well, Dugas, and I don't know if you've seen it. The U.S. is exploring if they can sh- sanction cryptocurrency movement uh, between Russia and other countries. Now, so one, if you haven't heard that, give me your initial reaction because all the crypto fans will tell you that's impossible, right? I haven't heard that. That's fascinating and should not happen. So here's the pitch. This is this is hot off the press again the, just this weekend. There, it, the Wall Street Journal is saying that Biden's advisors are looking at if they can tell cryptocurrency ex- exchanges who are typically reb- regulated by uh, financial bodies like the SEC that they cannot do transactions in Russian rubles or maybe do transactions with wallets that are tied to Russian locations. Isn't that just a, a fascinating thing to explore? That is interesting. Yeah. That feels a little different to me than what I heard you say before. Are they two well, different things? They, I mean, it's that's their approach to yeah. accomplish something that is because you can't the, the Bitcoin fans, if we just talk Bitcoin, but it could be any crypto will tell you the greatest thing about cryptocurrencies is cross border payments and low transaction fees and all this other stuff. So this seems like the perfect situation. If I'm Putin and the world cuts me off, I go, you know what? We're going to leverage technology that already exists uh, that is has been proven to be trustworthy. It's just a roundabout way to get sanctions. And I hadn't heard it discussed. I was curious about it, but I hadn't heard it discussed until this weekend. That's interesting. I wonder what the volume is like in general and whether or not there was any change Yeah. So the, over the last uh, week. Russian citizens, I don't have the volume question answered yet, but there's 12 million cryptocurrency wallets in Russia for a equivalent value of about $24 billion in US yeah. um, dollars. Yeah held in crypto at the day. I won't let us get down the rabbit hole on that because it's a developing story. Uh, But I just thought it was interesting to mention. It's definitely been on my mind as it relates to cutting people out of the world financial system is what alternative they would try and use to supplement that. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Well, look, I'm just, I mean, thinking about the people, thinking about the people and watching the markets, the uh, Thursday, Friday this week were fascinating from a, market perspective maybe maybe we can transitional fishbowl that situation to like what happened in the markets thursday friday what a turnaround so i mean absolutely bonkers i was looking at qqq because i was just curious what the volatility was going to look like and you know it was not thursday was a terrible day it, it was it was just terrible news all around right and so you're wondering how that translates to something that you and I are interested in. QQQ starts down more than 3%. And that seems like an overreaction, but fairly reasonable. Dougals, you know that 99.9% of the time, I think short-term 
movements in the market are completely unpredictable and it's a fool's game to even try and mess with that maybe the 0.1 percent is when a major war <laughs> is actually unfolding I mean, right yeah. before our eyes i i, I thought if yeah. there was something that was going to correlate what happened over the next seven and a half hours Dougals? QQQ, the Dow, the S&P all basically ended up skyrocketing. QQQ ended up more than 3%. That's a massive swing. Three to three? I mean, <laughs> it, explain this to me. I know you and I were sending texts back and forth being like, did we miss something? Yeah, Is I, the I war le- over? Yeah, I legit like jumped on. I was trying to search all of my news outlets, right, to be like, did Putin back up like did like what what occurred here like did the u.s go in like i it's like yeah what but nothing nothing so here's a here's a little quiz for you that plus five percent interday reversal is the way it's structured when is the last time that that happened i could have sworn that happened a couple weeks ago no well <laughs> i'd like that no you can swear all you want doodles <laughs> according to according to bloomberg here although this is someone's processing on a bloomberg terminal the last time that happened was in 2009 it happened uh three times when the market was falling sig- significantly and what was what would happen is there'd be like this really negative trend of news and then it'd be like oh but the fed might cut rates or you know so the market would freak out interday and be like, oh, this is happening. The last time this happened before that was all the way back in 2003. And it happened several times from 2000 to 2003. Again, as the market is generally headed towards a downtrend. Yeah. So seeing the or, market... Or those are actually... Those first two years were market bottoms, though. 2009 and 2003 were market bottom years. On the way to bottom is all yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not at the very bottom, but exactly. Yeah. It's uh, the like explain yourself thing that people are coming out with because you mentioned interest rates i'm bringing this up is the that now there's a belief that the fed will not increase interest rates nearly as much as it would have anyway because of the uncertainty who the heck knows i mean can we just can we make jokes about the explain yourself thing because the wall street journal who is my favorite newspaper and i respect greatly at 7 30 in the morning said nasdaq down three percent on invasion of Ukraine and ended the day saying NASDAQ up 3% in massive reversal on filling your narrative, whether yeah. it's that the Fed might not cut rates or whatever. There was, there was actually one point where it was the same sentence, but the only thing that changed was the word down and up. Like I saw this. <laughs> say, <laughs> that, that was all that was all that shit. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have to see. This is uh, I feel like the, the market, the market is trying not to crash like it, it is. The people are not ready. The people are not quite ready yet. All yeah, right. I'm not making predictions, uh, but it feels like volatility is bound to be mm-hmm. with us in the near term because, like, it's it's crazy out there. And speaking of, I'm going to name something that we weren't speaking of about at all. Speaking of crypto haters, I'm going to reach into the fishbowl and pull out my good friend Charles Munger. Oh yes, my boy Charles Charlie. Munger. Known as Charlie, yeah, only his good friends call him Charlie. I wanted to be formal here. But yeah, so Charlie Munger, he is the the chairman of the Daily Journal. For those that do not know, it's a newspaper out in California. And much like Berkshire Hathaway has their annual meeting where Charlie and, and Warren Buffett sit up there and they answer uh, questions from the audience. Charlie, because he has this platform, 
right? He gets up there and answers questions from the audience during the Daily Journal uh, weekly meeting. So first of all, their meeting was awesome. It was exactly 15 seconds. So I watched this. It's about a two-hour video. Um, it happened uh, 10 days ago. So I watched this. The meeting was 15 seconds. He gets there. He goes, we all voted. I'm still here. He's still here. We're good. All right, ask me questions. That was like that was the actual like meeting. Um, he is such a curmudgeon. It's wonderful. Oh, yes. And the man is 98 years old and embraces his like, I'm 98 and you can't tell me what I can or can't say. Uh, it's, yeah. I, I absolutely love it. So I'm going to raise uh, three or four. We'll see how far we end up getting here. But depending on the level of interest, three or four different topics that he raised. Uh, and I just I want to see if it's worth uh, discussing with you because I found them to be interesting. So one, he called every actually I would say between U.S., China and Russia called all the leaders idiots like in. Yeah, that's among your thing to do. Yeah, he uh, he was he what because what he was saying, he like oversimplified this to the extreme. But sometimes it's helpful in these cases. Um, specifically, he was mostly talking about U.S. and China. He went, if the U.S. and China don't get along, what good? happens in the world you'd be stupid to believe and that's like the quote you'd yeah. be stupid right on either side of that to believe you're not gonna get along which i thought was really fascinating and then there were a lot there were a lot of questions around alibaba i'm gonna transition that to an alibaba point and then we'll yeah. talk we'll talk about that um many people have questions about alibaba but so the question around investing in china and alibaba someone asked some version of the question that was like your boy warren said this is a bunch of hogwash nonsense yeah. garbage so can you explain yourself as to like why the, why you think this is a good idea to get in i love this this is what he said his quotes are a little bit long here so bear with me but he said he goes warren like many other intelligent people likes to invest where he personally feels comfortable and for some reason i'm more comfortable investing with the chinese than he is that's a minor difference i think that's really let's come back to that phrase i think it's really interesting that's a minor yeah. difference I have all kinds of places where I'm just like Warren and I won't go near them. I think an old guy is entitled to invest where he wants to invest. That That's was his a, I'm 98. Deal with it at the end, right? <laughs> yeah. What I loved about this, so one, just like I'm 98, deal with it. I love that. But that phrase I mentioned in the middle, that's a minor difference. I loved, I loved the fact that he said that because like what he said before that was just like, he's comfortable with stuff. There's stuff that he's comfortable with. I'm not. I'm comfortable with this. That's a minor difference. I like that. I think what that said to me, maybe he meant something different. What that said to me was the investment philosophies that we look at, they actually might be similar, right? All else being equal, but like Warren might be able to do some investment analysis on this. And he might say, yes, it looks like a great investment, but I'm not good with China. Yeah. So the minor difference is just like level of comfort, which comes back to so much psychology we talk about like all the time. So I loved that quote. Yeah, I want to pull something up because I do want to talk Alibaba a little bit and I want to have my facts in front of me. So we don't give investment advice on the show. We do give research recommendations. We've been talking about Alibaba because it's really interesting for probably six months back when Munger first took his position or it became public that Munger took his position. So Alibaba also had earnings this week. I'm not going to read you the earnings report. There was a negative reaction to it because... Top line revenue growth was slowing. Competition is heating up and profit margins aren't um, what people hoped. Um, the business also kind of has to evolve with Chinese regulations and some other things. So, Dougal, as you probably know off the top of my head, I'm going to go from memory. I think top line revenue maybe only went up 
twenty percent. Um, yeah, about that. And it had been going. I mean, previously it had been going gangbusters, like yeah. fifty to one hundred percent, right? Yeah. Um, so the intriguing thing about the stock was the growth. In the past year, the stock went from about two hundred and forty bucks a share to about a hundred and eight. <laughs> so one, I just want to laugh at that. People are freaking out about, oh, the revenue only grew 20% when the stocks spend more than cut in half. So, I mean, there were people holding this stock 12 months ago that were like, buy Baba yes. at 240 bucks a share. Look at these growth metrics. Look at the, I, I guarantee if they said, well, it only grew 20%, they'd be disappointed and they'd say, maybe that means it's only worth 200 bucks. But that, the disconnect from the price movement in the stock to the story that's being told around the stock. And this is not, I'm not telling you to buy Baba in any way, shape or form. And just using it as an example, I think is kind of hilarious because if you look at any of the multiples, it's like, well, yeah, if the stock went down 55%, I wish the revenue grew at 30%, but, (laughs) (laughs) but like the stock's down 55% from where it was. And I think that's the putting the, that first point I brought up around that, Munger was talking about in this quote. I think that's basically his take. Plus, he's 98 years old, so who the heck cares? Right. But I think what he's saying here, he's talking about how he's basically, in not so many words, is like the investment thesis, if you look at the fundamentals, are solid, right? Like, period. That that's kind of his take. Then the second one around when he was talking calling everyone, all the world leaders stupid, when he's doing that, what he's saying is like, he goes, if I'm wrong, I'm gonna be wrong because. China and the U.S. don't figure out how to get along, and they spit at each other for a long time. And that's dumb. So what I'm going to believe is the fundamentals are so strong, and they'd have to be stupid to do that. So I'm going to bet on them not being stupid. Like, that's 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 basically his investment thesis for this. <laughs> and And I think that makes sense. He's a big proponent or believer in incentives. And if you just look at those countries and what helping their people be prosperous it is good for china and the u.s to at least like you know be civil with each other be able to help each other make money be able to help each other prosper now i'm going to transfer to my second quote from uh charlie munger and this one's going to come off of the fact that baba is a pretty big holding of his i think it's like his third largest holding Mm -hmm. he doesn't have many holdings really and so third largest (laughs) is like right but so uh, he was asked about diversification i am a i'm a staunch believer in concentration you have good concentration i'm not a i am not a a staunch believer that the vast 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 majority of people i'm talking like 98 percent of people should not be concentrated that that i I believe that most people should not be but my own portfolio i am he talks about diversification which he does not believe in (laughs) like it makes that very clear here he talks about the mongers a lot in here. Like, he is the mongers. But anyway, he says, <laughs> so he goes, they were asking about how concert he is. He goes, the mongers have Berkshire stock, Costco stock, Chinese stock, and a little bit of Daily Journal. First of all, I thought that felt really dismissive, given that he's at the Daily Journal. <laughs> like, that's the only one he said, like, a little bit of Daily Journal. Uh, and then some apartment houses. Okay, so those, so that's his, that's what he says. He goes, do I think that's perfect? No. Do I think it's okay? Yes. I think the great lesson from the mongers, again, he is the mongers. Yeah. I think the great lesson from the mongers is that you don't need all this diversification, and that's plenty. You're lucky if you've got four good assets. If you're trying to do better than average, 
you're lucky if you have four things to buy. To ask for 20 is really asking for egg in your beer. Very few people have enough brains to get 20 good investments. <laughs> well, and now we're at the egg in the beer part of the show, what you've yeah, all been exactly. waiting for. Exactly. <laughs> Diversification's a, a thing we could have a whole episode on. I mean, uh, Buffett has done some really good research that will say if you get five to eight, which is similar to what Munger's saying here, you're in pretty good shape. Um, that being said, if you're looking to go bankrupt, the best way to do it is to hold less than 30 stocks. Uh, it just is yeah. because um, you can have a couple disasters hit. Now, Munger is one of the most talented investors ever, and his four stocks are not the same as as four picks for me and you or four picks for your average investor either. So I just trust him here. Um, his process is his process. He's 98 years old and worth billions of dollars. He can deal with it. I don't think it's good advice for your average individual. <laughs> no, but I love the way he says things. Like, if nothing else, like <laughs> egg in your beer. All right, last thing. Last thing, and we can move on from Munger here. This is about uh, holding cash, hoarding cash, even specifically. Yeah. So like basically having cash and waiting for the time to invest it. His reaction to that. In my whole adult life, I've never hoarded cash waiting for better conditions. I've just invested in the best thing, I guess, I could find. And I don't think I'm going to change now. And the Daily Journal's used up its cash. Now, Berkshire has excess cash. Has not. Yeah. Quite a bit of excess cash. But it's not doing that because it knows how to time investments. He, meaning Warren Buffett, he just can't find anything he can stand buying. Yep. Yeah, he's that not is... buying Alibaba right now. Yeah. It's a... I hadn't quite thought about hadn't quite thought about that nuance that he put in there before because you say like if if someone i think berkshire has like a 147 billion dollars i think is the last thing i saw that they had in cash it's a lot of cash the difference between hoarding the cash and waiting for the right time and wanting to spend the cash but not finding the right thing are same outcome potentially but very different philosophies um, that I thought was interesting in the way he stated that. Yeah, so I'm going to try and thread a needle here and agree with both Muffet, Buffett and Munger, and uh, you can laugh at me when it doesn't work. You talk about the Muffets? <laughs> so if you happen to be glued to your portfolio on Thursday, uh, trying to figure out what it was going to mean for you, um, I can guarantee you that if you had a little more cash than average in your brokerage account or in your savings account, that probably uh, relieves some stress for you, right? Because you were watching things, maybe this was only Thursday morning, you were watching things kind of blow up and a lot of uncertainty with what's happening in world events. And having a little cash in those times uh, provides nice peace of mind that I don't think makes sense. That said, Dougals, we talked two weeks ago about staying invested and the pros of that. I've done all sorts of research on this over the last decade and consistently I'm deploying the capital I have. Um, I have dividends and other things rolling in that keeps, you know, there's a cash balance on the side for me, but pretty much I'm invested because that's the way you make a great return long term. So the only thing I'd say is think about that. I think there are turbulent times ahead. And if your psyche is such that you might need a little more cash than average right now, take the uh, Warren Buffett side of the equation. If you're in it for the long haul and you don't need, you know, you're talking about account accounts you don't need for 20 years, then you should be fully invested and you should just 
make sure that you can ride out uh, the turbulence. And there's something very, 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 very important to keep in mind with regard to the Warren Buffett side of things. And that's that it's $147 billion. Like that's a big difference, but I, there might be people also that listen here that have $147 billion of cash that are waiting yeah. to invest it, but I doubt it. And the hello, reason Mr. Buffett. Yeah. Hello. Hello. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. <laughs> he doesn't why? know how to podcast. I don't think he has a cell phone. He certainly no, he, doesn't have it. He's like, can you please so. print out the Skippy and Douglas transcripts <laughs> that I, so I can read them. Um, the reason I state that is because in order to make a dent in the Berkshire portfolio, he has to deploy a solid amount of money. Like he's talking about deploying 20, 30 billion, maybe a little bit less, but you know, like billions of dollars at a time. So to be able to do that well is very different than, you know, if you're sitting on 10 grand or 20 grand or whatever you might be sending, you can find liquidity everywhere if you're yeah. sitting on like a small amount of money. But for him, he has to like buy a company. Like, like it's a it's a very different or a solid portion of a large company. In order yeah, you're looking at the top, um, the 30 biggest companies in the world, yeah. maybe to be meaningful for him. Exactly. Uh, that's a, a very good point. So should I go back and watch the Munger two hour setup? I, you catch it, me up with all it, the highlights. Uh, I think it's worth watching because seeing him in action, he just doesn't care. He is Honey Badger. Charlie yeah. Munger is Honey Badger. It's brilliant to watch. I can't do it justice just by talking about his quotes. Our uh, friend William Green was live tweeting some of the stuff, as was uh, Trent Griffin and some other really smart investors. So uh, you probably saw that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was actually watching. I was sitting in bed and my I was like laughing. And my wife's like, oh, what are you? <laughs> what are you watching? And I'm embarrassed. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, old, old episodes of The Office. You know, like, <laughs> like, I'm embarrassed anyway. All right. What's next in your fishbowl? All right, just one thing. We we love dollar stores around here. I just want to hit this quickly. Now, Dougal's, your favorite dollar store is Dollar General, right? Speak it. And my favorite dollar store is Dollar Tree, even post the um, move to charging a dollar twenty-five and a dollar fifty for certain items. I just wanted our dollar store fans to know that hundreds of family dollar stores. So it's not a favorite dollar store of the Skippy and Dougal show, but owned by Dollar Tree. Don't try and don't try and back out of it. <laughs> Hundreds of family dollar stores closed after rodent infestation at the warehouse. And some of the stuff they describe with this rodent infestation, let's just say it'd have to be pretty large to have 400 stores temporarily closed. That's terrible. That would never happen at Dollar General. And if it does, <laughs> I will scrub this section of the podcast. Um, that is terrible. That's really like in. that's that's real. That's real. Yeah, sorry, I'm not trying to laugh. Uh, but sometimes, what else can you do? They close stores in Alabama, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, and Tennessee uh, because they may be unsafe. Yeah, I won't even read all the rodent stories. But but skip your trip to the dollar store this week. Go back when they scrub things down. It's just it's so it's one of those. Uh, like compounding on the negative side things we talk about, that the the people that need to shop at these places, like if we hop in there, it's you know it's because it like you yeah. get the thing for cheaper. Some yeah. people like need to shop there. Hey, come on now, like you can't be skimping. This is the ultimate skimflation. Like when you are skimflationing on a dollar. No, listen, we've been talking about skimflation a lot, and like you know the eighteen dollar eggs that were that you got claimed or a gourmet breakfast. 
all this stuff. Well, when you raise minimum wage up this much and you start asking rats to do your manual labor, though, your warehouse doogles, <laughs> like, this is what happens, man. Ratatouille is a good movie. That's just a good movie. <laughs> Yeah, anyway. and listen, I I advise them to use robots rather than rats, but anyway, they they went with the McKinsey consultants instead of me, man. Because, <laughs> okay, all right, you're just you're throwing shade at all kinds of companies right now. All right, um, moving on. What's in your fishbowl? All right, I saw this story that I thought was real solid. Uh, it's the title of this piece is "The Horror, of the Horror, Heart of Darkness." Reference there, the horror, of the horror of the Peloton, not even plateau. Um, so this is on Substack and Helen.substack.com is where this is. I thought this piece was real solid. So this piece is about Peloton, but what it's really about is unrealistic growth and the way that the market and companies can also take that unrealistic growth expectations and take that and run with it to their own detriment. So uh, I'm going to give a few pieces from, from the piece itself. Want to get your, uh, your hit on it. And then raise something that it kind of brought up for me. So Peloton, you're familiar. Millions and millions of bikes have been sold over the past like five years in Peloton, right? I mean, it's a, if you talk about a company that is not successful and throw out Peloton's numbers, it's like silly almost. Peloton has over 6 million subscribers. It has a 1% churn rate. Like you yeah. would do anything. Really solid metrics. Yeah. Really solid metrics. Right. And the articles that you see right now that are coming out are like Peloton is over. Peloton's over. Peloton's laying off staff. Right. And the reason this article, what it's saying is the reason that is, is it's not that the people that are writing those are necessarily silly. Like it it seems like a contrast to its numbers, but it's that Peloton's so over invested and ate its own dog food, drank its own champagne, whatever idiomatic expression you want. And started like building out infrastructure for this like basically fake growth. Well, I mean, let me jump in there. Did you see the story on one of the executives that uh, was waiting for some stock to vest? And so he had like, I think it's like 30 plus million in paper value of his equities yep. that he loaned against. And then the stock went down uh, 300% or whatever it went down. And now he can't cover his loans. I mean, there's lots of problems. There's problems yeah. with the bank that, that loaned him that yeah. money for. Uh, anyway, it, it seems like they drank a little too much of their Kool-Aid for sure. This is another case, Dougals, where maybe the stock price and the story of the company are a little disconnected. The stock price has gone down so much recently that people are writing that story without looking at the true fundamentals and yeah. saying, hey, there's actually some positives there. And it's still a product that most people love. It, it's very true. But when you overinvest, this is the issue. Uh, read, you, read you a couple things from this, this article here. Peloton's not over, but it does have to contend with the exponential growth imperatives of a tech company that IPO'd weeks before the pandemic. And over the last few months, the company has ceased to grow the way it did when millions of people had no other options for exercise and several years worth of organic demand consolidated into a few months time. Yep. Right. Like that, that's, that's the point. They overinvested in infrastructure on staff and on general expansion while also making stupid, reckless mistakes, like refusing to recall their tread for months after a malfunction led to dozens of injuries and the death of a child. Truth. Um, Then the last piece is, and this is that sums it all up. The stock market failed to understand the growth for what it was. But so, too, did company leadership. 
And like, that's it. If your stock flies high and crashes, it's funny money. Yep. Right? Who cares? Yep. But when you believe that, and therefore you start, your SGNA starts increasing exponentially, you start taking out loans to buy your $30 million yacht. Well, that's like, why I told the story of the executive, because the executive, and clearly you would think this was true for the rest of the company, thought that the one-time pent-up demand that all got pushed forward to the beginning of the pandemic, they thought that was like the new normal. And as Peloton, you were the startup in the fitness space of the last decade. So how many Peloton competitors are there that did either tried to build the same thing or tried to take that revolution, you know, whether it's mirror or there's thousands of them now. So there's way more competition in the space. You push pent up demand into like a six month window. The executives of the company at that time should have realized that and said, we're when this bus, it's probably going to be really lean for a really long time because we sold two years worth of bikes in six months. And then we're going to have a lean 18 months, and then we hope to survive past that. Um, it doesn't seem like that's what happened at all. Not at all. And these are the times when, from a company perspective, not an investor perspective, but from a company perspective, it's so important that you have these, what I'll call opportunities, right? This is a rare opportunity. I'm ignoring all the negative that happened during the pandemic and everything. But from a company perspective, this is an opportunity. And you have to say, what is this an opportunity for? And what they said just at the high level, I'm assuming is this is an opportunity for land grab, for expansion to like to make yeah. sure that we can grab as much um, demand as possible. Not as I'm going to I'm rephrasing a little bit of what you just said. They did not see it as this is an opportunity where we can fortify our company. We can use this demand to fortify like our cash balances to make sure when the other side of this hits, because this cray cray ish don't last like it never does. Right. We can fortify our company. We can take advantage, build enough to take advantage, right? But fortify our company to the other side. And that those are very different mentalities. And it's real important. It's interesting though, because being a high growth startup that was that had recently IPO'd and stuff, your management had to have the perspective of uh, daring growth, like growth against all odds, right? That's kind of how you get to the IPO stage, and then to to turn the switch and say, now we're going to be conservative uh, with our financials and go ahead. I, I, yeah, I, I get that. I think that it's a, it may seem like a nuance, but I think it's so important that it's not, uh, I'm going to pick on the word conservative. It's mm -hmm. not conservative. You're still real aggressive. You're just not, you're like responsible. And what I mean there is uh, you, you have to think about what you're investing in. Because when you start investing in hard assets, right, fixed costs, like there's a fixed variable component. If your fixed costs are high and your, your variable, like your income, right, revenue, ends up being lower, you still have those fixed costs. And so yeah. it, depends on, it depends on the cost of, of your growth, right? There was, a, there was something that um, someone once talked about that I thought was so smart. They, were always, they were said, people always think about the cost of failure. They don't think about the cost of success. And I think that's what's important. What is, if we end up, investing in this thing and then success begets success what does that cause us to do what does that cause for our our cost infrastructure to look like and then what happens on the other side of it because because this is hardware it's like real different than if you say like wordle is exploding let's buy i'm going to invest in more like aws space 
to make sure that like Wordle can, right? I'm going to make sure that, that that's so different than like a bike, like manufacturing. And like, it's, it's just, it's real different. Is I, that where you're going with the fixed cost analogy? Because that part of me thought you were going with uh, their ramp up in hiring and the fact that their uh, employ their expenses it's all of it. to, okay. It's all, it's of, all it. of it. It's the manufacturing, the hiring, right? It's, 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 it's all of that stuff. This is a fascinating one. I mean, I'll tell you at the time that this was happening, I kind of understood the excitement around the stock, but I, I didn't do a deep dive. I certainly didn't say, and the thing's going to explode in 24 months. Like it seems so obvious that it probably was going to uh, with hindsight being 2020. Yeah, this one felt even more obvious than Zoom to me. I mean, Zoom was way overblown, but Zoom was one of those things that like, I can see where it could become like fully ubiquitous and they could find other product lines and whatnot. Peloton mm-hmm. is a luxury item. And there was yes. a period where that luxury item, there were people that couldn't afford the luxury item that also got stimuli <laughs> up in their situation, right? And so you could start affording things you couldn't afford. So I could see where like that luxury item, especially given what was brought up here around no other uh, exercise options. But yeah, it just didn't make any sense to me. All right, here, here's you know, can I drop one, the business thing it made me think of. Um, please do. All right. So it made me think a lot of the 20 mile march, Jim Collins concept of the 20 mile march. Is that something you're familiar with? Have we talked about it before? I don't believe so. Okay. So the 20 mile march, the reason that it comes into the, um, I'll give like the non-business context and then I'll give the business context is if you have a long journey ahead of you, right? The example that he gives, uh, Jim gives in the book, a uh, great by choice is if you, if you're going across the country from San Diego to Maine, right? You have many different, depending on when you leave, you have many different climates, many different terrains, right? That you have to get over. And so it's 3000 miles. And the, those that ultimately are successful are the ones that say every day I'm going 20 miles. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. Right. Every day I'm going to do 20 miles. If I wake up in the morning and it's snowing outside, I'm doing 20 miles. And at the end of that, I'm not going to like myself. Right. If I wake up in the morning and it's like perfect conditions, I'm doing 20 miles and I'll be able to rest at the end of the day. But you're always doing 20 miles. And it's those organizations or those people that say, oh, it's so nice outside. I'm doing 200 miles today. Mm-hmm. And then I'm exhausted. And the next day it's snowing. Oh, now I can't do any. Right. Like, yeah, I have blisters on to... my feet. And yeah, exactly. it starts to derail from there. Exactly. That, that came up here for me so much because I think that March is brilliant. Um, the, the company, there are two companies that like um, exhibit this a lot, but the one I'll bring up is Southwest Airlines. And because yeah. Southwest would not grow as fast as it could. It always would not grow as fast as it could. During its like, hey, hey day of growth, there were, um, there were airports that were like, we want you to take all these gates. And Southwest was like, no, we're not coming there. That's not what we do, right? We're going to grow like the amount that we want to grow because then we can fully control our fate. Um, our cost structure, et cetera, which I think is brilliant. So, so there's actually uh, an analogy there with uh, the clothing brand Patagonia as well. Um, so it's 100% owned by the original founder, and it's been organically funded um, because early in the company's history, there was a pullback where he had to do layoffs, and he really didn't like that because he had grown his company by hiring basically friends and family and people he trusted, you know? And so since then he really pulled back and grew much slower than he could have funded everything organically out of that fear of ever having to go through a laugh cycle again. Now 
who knows what the future holds. I'm not saying that's going to hold true in the next 10 or 15 years because it's a much larger company mm-hmm. than it used to be. But there is that discipline can be an incredible asset as you grow a business if you grow at your own pace. And your your point before around the the high growth like mentality, it's the balance that's really important. And the more like experience you can get, the more I think that you're able to figure out how to balance those two things. Like how do I grow aggressively but responsibly? Yeah. Right? That, that's that's the and not responsibly as in necessarily conservative, but responsibly in thinking about what ha- what's the cost of success and what's the cost of failure in these situations? And have I made my cost structure such that I can avoid the death line on the other side? Um, yep. It's a real, real morbid, but whew. All right. There's there's so much this week. I'm gonna mention two things. And if the listeners want us to dive in, we'll we'll kick them for next week. So my boy, Connor Daughtry, who wrote the amazing uh-huh. book about California real estate is back with a New York Times article about it's called the next affordable city is already too expensive where he profiles uh, Spokane, Washington, really fascinating stuff. If there's interest there, we'll dive in that ties to another uh, brilliant article that I came across this week about ski areas and how dire the economic situation in it is in ski towns, which also relates to kind of the way real estate is evolving in the U S one stat from that is, um, in Aspen, Colorado, uh, since 1970, wages have grown about 30%. Um, yet the per capita income during that time has grown 300%. So the average wage wow. is about 50K. The average income per capita is $155,000. If you don't understand how that's happening, it's a little counterintuitive. It's because millionaires from places that aren't typically Aspen are moving into town and they don't care if their home costs 2 million, 3 million, 10 million because they're sitting on 100 million over here. Yep. So yep. this disconnect is really fascinating. And that happens in a place like Jackson Hole, Wyoming, even to a greater degree because Jackson, well, Wyoming has crazy tax breaks for wealthy people. So on top of <laughs> the home price not mattering, then you get. The, a tax break that might relate to more than five million bucks. So the home's effectively free. Really interesting stuff. If you guys want us to continue that deep dive on real estate, we'll uh, we'll dig in there next week. If if anyone was curious as to why Kanye moved to Wyoming, Skippy just gave you the answer. <laughs> I actually didn't know Kanye had a place. I knew he liked uh, the Tetons, but I didn't know he had a place. So yeah. There you go. Okay, and then the last thing I'll hit on um, relating back to. Um, a Bloomberg piece on investing. This was simply about the drawdown that happened. And it, this was actually published midweek before the um, Ukraine breakdown. So um, the decline from the 52-week high for the S&P 500 index is about 11% right now. For the NASDAQ, it's 20%. And then we've talked about some of these other names. Names like Zoom and Roku. Zoom's down 71% from their high. Roku is down 78%. This article breaks down what type of stocks have been hit significantly in the Russell 3000 index and finds a a story, which I like, which is why I'm talking to you about it, Diggles, that the expensive stocks (laughs) have been hit significantly more. So if you look at price to book value and the median decline from 52-week highs for the Russell 3000, uh, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it by profit margins. The highest profit margin 
is down about 15%, and the lowest profit margin is down almost 60%. And you can look at it based on price-to-book values. The lowest price-to-book value, which would be a good thing in this case, is down about 18%, and the highest is down um, about 35%. So I just want to mention it because you're really seeing the type of stocks that have been hit most severely have been those high flyers, those Kathy Wood type uh, yep. stocks that have, they were incredibly expensive. I I mean, we'll see where that goes, but that trend may continue as there's more fear in the market because you fly towards safety and uh, value stocks are typically thought of as safer stocks, more predictable cash flows with less debt. Yeah, I'm I'm really fascinated what's going to happen there in these cuz it's the market has been so interesting over this period of time because it's just a it's just like transfer 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 not exit necessarily. I mean there's been what I mean by that is like the what you just said. If the S&P 500 is down 11% but these stocks are down 78%, market's staying in the or sorry, money is staying in the market. Right? Yep. To your point, it's it's a it's just transferring it's rotating. Exactly. We haven't gotten to the point where people are just pu- fully pulling out um, quite yet. And so and going to cash. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting. I think that uh, many of those stocks are not going to like, we've seen their heyday. <laughs> I think for, for many of their, their hey, hey, like, hey, day. like that's what I'm, ta- <laughs> I'm talking like their big heyday. Um, that doesn't mean they're not going to like grow more or anything like that. But when you have, I think Peloton in 2020, went up like seven X over the course of nine months. Like yeah. that, that, that kind of heyday um, I think is over. That doesn't mean that the NVIDIA's of the world, right. That's still like, there's like a, there's a solid business. there, really expensive. If you, if you thought NVIDIA was great at a hundred X PE, look at it now that it's 70, you know? Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Don't you know, we call it video on this show. Oh, sorry. Now? <laughs> yeah. Cause we can't afford the ad anymore. <laughs> Um, anyway. Oh, totally agree. Anything else in your fishbowl, Deagles? Uh, no, that's it. All right, guys. Well, uh, again, thoughts with our, our friends in Ukraine. And um, thanks for listening to the show. Please hit us with a review or a subscription if you get a chance. That really helps people more people find the show. You can subscribe if you love the show, supercast.skippydougals.com. And uh, you can hit us for all things including social media links and everything else skippydoogles.com thank you thanks